You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning, Pasco Vale. It's great to be here again to share the word from Scripture with you. And for those who may be listening online still, good morning and welcome. You know it's a great day to worship the Lord when you get persecuted on a very, before you even come to church. As I was just at the traffic light this morning, someone just gave me the flip off <laughs> for no apparent reason. I don't know why. But they must know that I'm coming to church. Anyway, my name is Alvin, and it's a blessing to share today's message with you. And what a wonderful morning to do it so. I'm glad to see many faces in the seats, but we'll obviously love that the Lord will hopefully one day fill every one of these seats in this room. May the Lord draw his people unto himself as we faithfully raise his banner here in Pascoville Church of Christ. Now God has a plan for the world, and aren't we blessed to be part of it? As we continue the Bible series focused on Luke chapter 9, we hope that we will find what it means and what is required of us to follow Jesus. And today's title is Humbling Yourself. As always, before we dig deep into the Word, let us bow our hearts and humble ourselves to be ready to receive what God and the Holy Spirit has in store for us today in the Scripture. So let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to study your Word and to listen to your message being expound. We just pray, dear Lord, that you speak to us individually, you inspire us, you convict us, you correct us, rebuke us, and train us, Lord, in your righteousness. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Are you humble? Are you humble? An interesting question, but also a paradoxical one too. If we say we are, are we then proud of our humility? If, say, the church decided to give an award for cross-cultural Pascoville's church most humble person for 2022, and you have been nominated, would you come up to the stage right now to receive that award? Or perhaps you're locked in a heated conversation with someone, and you notice a weak spot, I got you. As you cut them off mid-sentence and proclaim how ridiculous they are for believing something so obviously silly? Or would you rather listen, make conversational peace whenever possible and seek out points of commonality rather than being critical? It is hard to be humble, isn't it? The line is so easily crossed between humility and pride. Often, we do so and we cross that line without even realizing it. Now Benjamin Franklin, a well-known statesman in the United States, wrote this following words in his autobiography. In reality, there is perhaps no one of our natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. You may disguise it, you may struggle with it, beat it down, strive it, st sorry, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases, it is still alive, it will now and then peek out and show itself. So what do we do with our pride? And how 
can we be humble? What do we do with our pride, and how can we be humble? It is no surprise that Christ's disciples also struggled with pride, as we do, and many of the non-believers are also struggling with pride. I'm sure we've heard, have heard the saying that pride comes before the fall. When our pride consumes us, that's when we fall. Notice. What are the common things that people say when they reject Jesus? What are the things that they say? They say things like, I'm not a bad person. Why do I need God? I don't need God. I'm the master of my own life. See the pride there? There is no God. I'm the God of my life. I decide my future. No one else tells me what to do. Nobody cares for me but me. Isn't that pride, my friends? Friends, can you see the pride in those statements? I wonder if you also notice that the letter I is in the middle of both the words sin and also pride. Man's pride is the reason for our fall. We men we want to rule ourselves. We want to be like God, knowing what is good and evil. That's why we ate of that fruit. We are the fulfillment of the saying, "Pride comes before the fall." That is why, paraphrasing the Bible, it says, "If anyone chooses to follow Jesus, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow Him." Matthew chapter sixteen, verse twenty-four. We cannot follow Jesus if we have not denied ourselves. To deny oneself is to say we are not good enough. To put ourselves down and to raise Christ up, then, and only then, will we full-heartedly follow Jesus. The only way to get out of this rut is to be instead be amazed, amazed at the majesty of God. To give God. The due reverence. So I thank you for the for the the, the welcoming message, uh, the, the the call to worship today. This reminds us of how how humble God was and what He did for all of us. Look to Christ. Focus your eyes on Him and the work that He has done, so that you and I have a hope for salvation and new life. Friends, measure ourselves against what Christ has done for us, and perhaps our pride will take hold. Will not take hold as our achievement becomes pale in comparison to the great grandeur of Christ's achievements. Despite just witnessing the transfiguration before we before this passage that we read today, Luke nine thirty seven. Right. We read that on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, "Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only son." And behold, the spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams in the mouth and shatters him, and will hardly leave him. And I begged the disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Now, friends, whilst we do not experience 
many spiritual possessions in Australia. It does not mean it does not exist. The devil uses different means to control people and to turn them away from God. In more religious and perhaps more superstitious cultures and countries, you find that such things are a common occurrence. While we in the West, we find things like indifferences and power and materialism that dominates and controls our mind of the non-believer. But here is a parent who is desperately looking for an answer to his child's suffering. And he has come to Christ's disciples for help. But instead of the evil spirit being expelled from the boy, we read that he seizes the child and takes control of him. While the scripture did not give a detailed narrative of what occurred, we can observe that none of the disciples in, in their inability to cast the evil spirit out of the child, asked Jesus for help. Notice that? Who was crying out to Jesus? It was not the disciples. It was the Father. None of the disciples, when they failed to cast out that demon, turned to Jesus, the source of power, and asked him for help. Although the disciples had been given the authority and power to cast out evil spirits when Jesus sent them out on a mission trip, note that when they were unable to cast this demon out, again, like I said, none of them turned their back to Jesus to seek his help in solving the problem. None of them returned to the source of authority and power to seek Jesus' help. Instead, it was the Father who cried out to Jesus for help, and he was clearly present at the scene of the events. Now, honestly, I do not blame the disciples for doing so. If I were in their position, I'd probably end up doing the same thing. Thinking I can solve the problem, trying to troubleshoot why the power of not forcing this demon out is not working. You don't want to disappoint your boss and you try to and try and try again with your own strength. But when we get to this point, it is no longer about Jesus, but about us, isn't it? Even though God has given us power and authority to make disciples and to tell the world about Jesus, sometimes instead of relying upon God's power, we rely on our own strength. For example, when we share the gospel with others, what comes to your mind? Do we think we need to save this person? Or do we think we need to share the gospel with this person? And let the Holy Spirit deal with the person's heart. Ask yourself, why are you offended when people say no to you or when you share the gospel with them? Is it you that they are saying no to, or is it the Holy Spirit? It's so easy for us to blur the line between what is God's role and what is our role. And we sometimes ignore the Savior and think that we are the Savior ourselves instead. Because we are trying to save this person. That is perhaps one of the many reasons why our ministry do not bear fruit. 
when we start using our own strength to do God's work, you can probably understand why you get frustrated or upset when ministry is not bearing fruit because you're not doing God's will. With this context, we can probably understand why Jesus is frustrated with his disciples and said the following. Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Although the Bible did not clarify to whom this comment was directed to at, we know that Jesus' frustration comes from our faithlessness and the twisted way of our thinking. Just because we have the power and authority that, to do things doesn't mean we put Jesus to one side and try to solve the problem ourselves. It's not about that. It is in Jesus' name that we cast out the demons, not our name. When Jesus is right there, why are we standing in his way? Let Jesus do the work. Let Jesus cast out that demon. Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to the father. Friends, pay attention to the next few words from this passage. It says, And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Wait a minute here. Shouldn't that be the power of Jesus? Why the majesty of God instead? Why did they choose the word the majesty of God instead? Friends, I, have, I believe the choice of these words was deliberate. The author wants us to understand why the disciples have failed in their abilities in delivering this child from the demonic spirit. And we can see a similar account of the story found in Matthew chapter 17, which provides a little more detail as to why the disciples failed. In Matthew 17 verse 19 we read that the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. Other parts of chapter 9 also reveals other reasons besides the lack of faith. And we can see that in verses 46 to 48. Why does it matter who is the greatest among them? Why does it matter? And how is one's greatness measured? Perhaps it is measured as to who is able to cast out more demons? Is that how it's being measured? Or is it... Or if one fails and the other succeeds, is that how the, the, the greatness is measured? Friends, our value is not in what one is able to do over another. It's not about how much more Bible I read more than the other person, or how much quiet time I, I spend, or how much I give to the church than some other members in this church. Instead, our value is measured that whilst we were sinners, Christ died for you and for me. We are unworthy, my friends, but Christ deemed us worthy to be saved. Rather than thinking about how good we are, how about humbling ourselves and understand the sacrificial work of Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, Let this word sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. 
but they did not understand its saying, and it was concealed from them, so they might not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him about that saying. Friends, like the disciples, do we truly understand what's about to happen? Do we truly understand the sacrificial work of Jesus? If your answer is yes, then we need to humble ourselves under his majestic rule. We should not concern ourselves as to who amongst us is the greatest. Instead, we ought to remember the words of Christ that who is the least among you, all is the one who is great. Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that one's greatness is not measured by one's achievement, achievements, but by one's servitude to others. We are called to receive. We are called to serve and to welcome others like the child in the passage into the kingdom. Friends, whilst it's easy for us to receive a child to Christ because they are so cute and lovable, what is your attitude towards, say, a homeless person on the street? Or someone you dislike? Can you still serve them? Can you still love them? Can you still welcome them into God's kingdom? I recall during the times when I served in the church kitchen serving up Sunday lunches it was, as it was our sour group's rostered day. Sometimes, sometimes there will be people, homeless people, uh, street people who will come off the street into the chapel hall. Often they are dead just for a hot drink and some biscuits. But sad to say, I've noticed that some members of the church give them that look and even avoid them. Sometimes we treat these people less than a human being, which is sad. Especially when it's God's people doing the judging. Fortunately, there are some who at least offer them a hot-cooked meal from the church kitchen and a little more so that they can take it along with them to give it to someone else or their family members who are also perhaps starving. As a membership, we can sometimes forget why we serve church lunch, for example, or serve God in any capacity. Why are we doing it for? What do we do with the person who is good doing these things but does not follow with us? But Jesus said to them, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Friends, doing God's work is not limited to the few. We are all called to serve God together. Our main goal is to further God's kingdom, not to limit it, just because the other party is not from our group or our church. The birth lesson is important for the church because it reminds us that whilst we have affinity within our own church, it does not mean we stop the work of others. Instead, we are called to work together, use our combined resources to achieve Christ's end or Christ's will. You now, back in the day, I recall that as a church committee, some of the international students will partner with memberships from other churches to do street outreach at Flinders Street Station. 
We used to go stand together, sing together, worship together on the street, and there will be also um, a, a street pastor there that will be sharing the gospel. And he's one that actually carries the cross physically every day. I kid you not, he actually loves a big wooden cross and walks around. But there is a mesh of community there. People from the Korean church, from the cross-culture church, from other churches, combining their efforts to serve the Lord and to proclaim His good news. And what a scene that was, to see all these faces from different nationalities and different groups coming together to serve the Lord. Or take the Billy Graham Crusades, for example. While some do not like the idea of big events, but when churches humble themselves, drop their prejudices, and work together for the benefit of the kingdom, great things can be achieved for Christ as well. For example, we could do an event which can reach and generate interest from people from a wider area, not just our church community. There could be more exposure and more proclamation of God's word because the media is covering these events. There could be synergies, the pulling of talents, the resources to reach the masses and the likes. Sadly, I hardly hear of many inter-churches collaborations these days. Everyone is just doing their own thing. Friends, we are called to be united as brothers and sisters in Christ, not divided and ununified in the Lord. Imagine if together as Christ's church, we all came together and, put, and humbled ourselves and prayed, what a powerful impact that would have on the city of Melbourne. What a powerful impact. Pride can exist in my church over your church. Having that attitude. How would that look in the eyes of a non-believer? I recall again during one of the street outreach that we used to do in the past, this is one of the reasons why a non-believer refused to come to church. He actually told me that. The person said to me that we worship one God and yet we are divided into various denominations and cannot agree on anything. and cannot work together. What kind of God is this? He cannot unite even his own people. That's what he said to me. We are putting obstacles in front of non-believers. Whilst I have an answer for that question, you can probably understand the way this person thinks, the way he does. In conclusion, friends, if we consider ourselves followers of Jesus, we cannot behave like that of the world where we are judgmental, and resistant in welcoming others to Christ. We cannot let our pride become the stumbling block for our outreach. If we truly wish to follow Jesus, we need to humble ourselves and let God take the lead. Sadly, as a collective of believers, we've in some instances become elitists and serve only people who we think are deserving of our service. Those who dress like us, those who talk like us, those who come from our culture, 
those who have the same skin color as we do, behave like us, reach a well-to-do like us, sound like the Pharisees of the time? Friends, that's not the church. And I hope for our sakes we do not become like that. Jesus served among the outcasts of society. He humbled himself from being God to become like his creation. He did this so that he could empathize with us. He could identify with us and walk with us and eventually die on the cross for us. If Jesus can do it, so should we. In other words, humility results in a humble sacrificial service to the Lord. It means we may need to get our clothes dirty and we get as we give a homeless person a hug. We may need to get our pants dirty when we sit on the dirty ground with that person so that he or she may be able to hear about Jesus. We may need to sacrifice luxury to bless the poor or we need to sacrifice our time to cook a meal to feed the hungry. It's about serving in countries that do not have the luxuries that we enjoy in Australia. It's about stepping out of our comfort zones to reach out and to help those who need it most. It's about doing what Jesus would have done if he was still walking amongst us. There are also many benefits of being a humble person in general as well. Having a humble attitude in the way we approach and engage others will make people more receptive to listening to the gospel. When we approach others with a humble attitude, we might find that people are less argumentative and more willing to have a listen to what you have to say to them because you first listened to what they had to say. Friends, we cannot become a Christian without humbling ourselves. And we cannot also continue as Christians without humbling ourselves. I hope the message today has challenged you. I know it certainly has for me when I wrote it. Humble yourself and ask the Lord, how can I humble myself today as I seek to glorify God and to serve Him who is my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Let us pray. Dear God, forgive us for the times that our pride and me first has taken over that throne where you are supposed to sit. Forgive us for the times that we've let our own personal pride be a stumbling block for others to see Jesus. Forgive us for the time that we have not humbled ourselves in front of you, in front of our peers, our family, our sphere of influence. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to look to your majesty, to your kingdom, 
to your throne and realize how insignificant we are. But yet, yet, you came down and became like us, died on the cross for us, not for yourself, but for us. Help us to remember your grace, your mercy, and your love for us. And help us, Lord Father, to have that same love for others. Help us to put to death ourselves, to deny ourselves, and carry that cross and follow you. We are not perfect, Lord, and we fail. But when our eyes are focused on you, and our hearts are set in your kingdom and your will we know that we can achieve great things in your name so Lord Father help us to look to the source of power that is you help us look to the source of love that is you help us look to the source of grace and mercy and that is you and help us to make that part and parcel of our daily lives and our daily walk with you. Bless us, Lord, and help us to change from being self-first to selfless. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.